Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to Connex, the content experience show. I'm Randy Frisch. Anna Harak is here with me. And this week, depending on where your mind goes, you could be a left-brainer, a right-brainer, but all of us these days, we have to deal with data. It's a reality. It's sitting there in front of us, and it's really a question of what we do with it. And today's guest, Phil Renault from Affinio, is really going to help us understand some of the possibilities. Some of the possibilities today, some possibilities where we're going. We had a great time having him here on the recording this past week, and uh, I, I've, I was motivated. Yeah, it's... Phil gives so many good ideas with how to use data in this episode. I think everybody, to your point, whether you're left-brained, whether you're right-brained, it doesn't matter. You're going to be so excited. You're going to want to get your hands on some audience data, and you're going to want to just put it to work right away. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that, that we ended up hitting on, which is, you know, I know some of the people who listen to this podcast are, you know, either a B2B marketer or B2C marketer, and they're trying to figure out content marketing. So stay with the podcast as it goes, because we start off kind of, you know, hitting on more media examples. But I, I find them personally fascinating. Like we, you know, the, the low hanging fruit that we talked about was this idea of Netflix and how it came from, uh, you know, data to figure out that 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 would be uh, that House of Cards would be such a watched uh, series for them, and that we're now able to do this if we don't have the billions of dollars that Netflix has through platforms like Affinio and other ways to do it. But but then we got into some other real cool marketing use cases. I don't know if, if any of them stuck, stuck in your mind. Yeah, there, I mean, everything from, you know, like what Phil was talking about, how movie studios are using it to select actors and actresses, you know, to, um, you know, just making content incredibly relevant for just everyday people. And I think that at the end of the day, Phil really hit on exactly, Randy, what you and I are passionate about and what the show is about, which is creating better content experiences. And, and he's able to help us do that through data and help us understand that a little bit more. It's, it's so, it was just such a great show in general. And I think it's a topic that we don't get to touch on really heavily. We've touched on it in a couple of previous episodes, but today it's really all about that data and how to make it relevant. Okay. And I'm going to give people the reason to, to listen all the way to the end of the podcast. I know sometimes you get to that 20 minute mark and you're like, all right, I get the gist of it. But he really hits also on some of the trends that are coming around data protection. Right. And, you know, how to think about that. And I'm going to leave that as the cliffhanger here. Um, and then we can kind of just like roll with this and let you bring Phil in this past week and we'll roll with the recording right from here. Hey, Phil, thank you so much for joining the Content Experience Show today. It is so great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're from Affinio, and I know you pretty well. But for those of you out there who don't know Phil, Phil, would you mind just telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Phil Renault. I am living in Toronto, Canada, and I work for this company called Affinio, uh, where I'm the VP of Engineering. 
uh, basically what we do is we build out all sorts of really great mathematical models around how different groups are clustered or not clustered together. So the coolest thing that I love about Affinio, and you gave just a really, really quick overview, but the thing that I love is that it gives really, really insanely deep, visually beautiful, most importantly, audience insights. Um, and the thing that I love most about Affinio is just how how beautiful and usable it is. So you're basically responsible for all of that and the team that manages it, correct? Yeah, that's more or less it. The, uh, the engineering team here is fantastic. Uh, we have data visualization people, uh, data scientists, uh, really anywhere uh, from top to bottom of the stack. We've been working on this thing and we're in love with it. And it's a lot of fun to work on. So one of the things that Randy and I talk about a lot on this show, too, is just how valuable audience insights are and how it really is like personas are kind of like the holy grail for, you know, content creators and content marketers and just how there's so much data sometimes, you know, people don't really know what to do with it. For for anyone using Affinio, can you kind of give them a, a walkthrough about sort of what it does, how it collects data and kind of the results that they can expect and and just really the insights they can glean from it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Affinio looks at a lot of different kinds of data sets. And, and I think the, the whole idea of this being content experience and not just uh, content without the experience is uh, really important. Uh, the big thing that we talk about is relevance. So uh, when we look at different data sets, we look at enormous data sets. We're not looking at just very small things, but we might be looking at something like the entirety of a social network graph, something like a, like a Twitter or a Facebook. Um, and, you know, I, I know how often I tweet, and it's uh, probably too much. And uh, I say a lot of things that aren't necessarily descriptive or definitive about uh, who I am. However, there's all sorts of other signals about, uh, you know, who I am on Twitter. And that has to do more with, let's say, who I follow. So if I follow uh, the Phoenix New Times, that might be indicative of that I lived in Phoenix for some amount of time. If I follow the Detroit Free Press, that might be indicative that I lived in Detroit. Well, okay, now let's take a look at the other 600 things I follow. And also take a look at another you know, 10,000 people that look an awful lot just like me. Now you have a really, really large uh, data set and you can start to make some uh, conclusions about how these people talk, where they like to shop, what they're interested in, things like that. Uh, so that's one half. That's uh, the social side of things. We also do all sorts of very interesting stuff with data that doesn't come from social. So you know, sometimes uh, survey data, census data, internal data from uh, really big brands about how people use their products or... Uh, even viewed their sites, read their papers, things like that. So I, I find this really interesting. And it's it's funny, I was actually out talking earlier this morning at a local event in Toronto, nonetheless. Amazingly, we're in the same city. Uh, but uh, and, and people were asking a question. They said, you know, how do you know what content is going to work, you know, at different stages of the buyer journey, as they were asking. And, and I said, you know, really, you know, before you try and figure out what's work, you got to understand who you're speaking to. And I, and I think a lot of what you're hitting on here, Phil, is all about better understanding personas and better understanding audiences. Um, maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of the thesis, if you will, around where you think things are going like five years from now. I mean, we're, we're at an exciting point where we're starting to use that data, but but why are, you know, the, the engineering team that you have motivated around this, like what is the view that you see down the road? Yeah, I, uh, I really like answering this. Um, so we come from a background where people want to know really basic questions, like tell me about an audience and tell me how they differ or are similar based on demographic traits, based on their gender, their age, um, you know, you guys had a great podcast just the other week about somebody who's doing audience segmentation at a university level. And I said to myself, well, I wonder what some of the data points they're working with. Uh, you know, what, what might those look like? 
you know, it turns out like the, what you're majoring in or, uh, you know, what the, uh, what the status of your uh, tuition looks like, things like that. These are all possible data points. Um, the point is, the further you get uh, away from really concrete things uh, like somebody's age group, like long ago demographics, the harder the stuff gets to, to, uh, gets to be in terms of being able to structure it. But that doesn't mean that the data gets any worse. In fact, we find that it gets a lot more interesting. So uh, the way that we look at data is a very complex set of connections, uh, almost like a network graph, nodes connected one to another, about how people have things in common. So just because you and I uh, maybe shop at the same grocery store, it doesn't necessarily mean we know each other. Uh, but if you take that we shop at the same grocery store, that we use the same type of credit card, that we uh, have an address that's in the same neighborhood, that we both follow the same newspaper, and that we both listen to the same radio show, we're getting a little bit closer together. If we could pair that with other things, like uh, we're both interested in the same baseball team, well, now we're getting a lot closer to uh, an idea of a picture of a cluster. Now, this doesn't even start to talk about the, the content necessarily working here. You said, how do I know what kind of content is going to work for that group? Well, the good news is that uh, between social media and just basic data handling, we have all sorts of data about how people talk and how people respond. Uh, there are certain kinds of advertisements just in terms of, uh, in terms of medium, right? Like uh, we can tell when a video will work and when a text will work better than video. We can tell when in a video something that's, uh, that's relatively silent and non-abrasive is going to work better because this is how we see the content being shared for this group in the first place. That is so cool. I love it. I love that so much. And it's so funny. Randy and I were actually just talking to another guest coming up about just how important it is to listen to your audience. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed after, um, you know, doing a ton of audience research is firsthand collecting audience data firsthand and, and interviewing them is absolutely essential. But there are sort of the things that audiences don't know that they do. So there's the things they know they do, and that's where a lot of that valuable first-person feedback comes in. But then there's a lot of the stuff they do where, you know, they don't realize they do these things. Like, they don't – that's why we have tools like heat mapping on sites because they don't really realize what they're looking at. They they get so focused. And I love that Affinio can help sort of reveal some of those things that customers don't even know about themselves. So marketers can get so much more detailed, so much more nuanced, and so much more targeted – what are some of the cool things that you've seen Affinio customers do with all of this data? Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think that uh, the thing that you're talking about here that I like the best is uh, these unconscious things that we do, right? Yeah. Uh, these, these come into play in all sorts of different ways. Uh, most recently uh, for myself, and I, I, I look at myself inside of a lot of different audiences just to try and test out the tool and test out some new features we're building. So one of the things that I find is uh, going a little bit poorly for me is I'm starting to enter myself into these clusters of much older people than I feel comfortable with. I, I'm no longer in like a hip and young uh, cluster. I find myself in like the old people old people cluster that tell people to get off their lawns. It's all relative. It's all relative. Give yourself a break. Come on. Come on. You look. Yeah, I, I get it. But the point is, I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm not deliberately going out there. And it's not like I followed, uh, you know, the uh, whatever the Canadian equivalent to the AARP is, but the... Um, you know, the fact is that I've started following things that a lot of other people that are older people will start to follow too. Um, so there's some things that you could do with this data, right? If you looked at this and you said, ah, this is a segment of people that are demographically older than average, that would be the wrong way to think about it because now I've entered this, uh, you know, this cluster. I'm not necessarily a particularly old person. Oh God, I hope. But uh, the point is that I have all sorts of different likes and relevant things that I care about that I don't know I'm doing, uh, or at least I'm not consciously doing it, but 
you know, I follow uh, two or three different baseball teams and I follow a couple different newspapers and I follow a couple conferences and, uh, you know, thought leaders in my industry that were more from when I was growing up than they are from now. And these are all indicative of somebody who has a diverse set of interests that doesn't necessarily gel with uh, a young person on social media. Um, so for people that are kind of building content around this, you know, that's something to look at. You, can't, you couldn't just say this is a group of old people, this is a group of people that live in a certain location. You can say, uh, I can aggregate the content around this and build something new. That's really exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny too, because one of the things we say in our company, just for, at Uberflip, just from a core value perspective, and it's going to come out sounding terrible, but when, when we explain it, is uh, the idea that the, the customer isn't always right. Right. And what we what we mean by that is not, you know, the offense of like, you know, tell our customers to go, you know, where, but it's more, you know, that when we talk to our customers, which we need to do, we need to listen to them. But we also have to try and find the things that they're not asking for yet or they're not verbalizing. Right. Or that they, didn't, they don't know that they need, but that their behaviors are suggesting as such. And it comes back to your earlier point, Phil, I think around relevance. Right. We need to find out not just what's relevant now, but what is relevant to people that they don't even know yet. And that's that to me is what's really excited about all this data. We're going to take a quick break here from some of our sponsors here on Connex, the content experience show. We're going to be back with Phil Renaud and, and hopefully we can dig into some real life examples where we're seeing how this data is going to use. Right back here. For any of you who go to contentexperienceshow.com, you know that every podcast Randy and I record gets transcribed and it's awesome. But you know what's not awesome? Transcribing your own audio files. In fact, it actually kind of sucks. It's time-consuming work. Rev takes the hassle of converting your audio files to text by providing fast and affordable transcription for just $1 per minute. There are no minimums. And best of all, there are no contracts to sign just $1 per minute. When you upload a file to rev.com, their team of experienced professionals, actual real people, not machines, immediately work on your audio files, and then deliver a transcript to your inbox with 99% accuracy in 12 hours or less. It is super simple. It is super fast. And you don't have to do it yourself. We are back here with Phil from Affinio, and we're talking all about the amount of data that's out there and the reality today that we can use AI, that we can use these clusters of data to start to make decisions for our content that we put in front of our audiences. And the, the really exciting Phil is some, thing, Phil, is some of the customers you're already starting to do this with and making real-life real-time decisions on you know things like who's going to star in a movie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we have quite a few different media and entertainment uh, space clients. So anything from a movie studio to uh, you know television network, movie providers, uh, we have a pretty diverse set of clients, and they ask a lot of weird questions. So you know when we talk about Affinio in, in context, uh, a lot of times I like to say we're, we're trying not to push the envelope on a specific use case. But a really common one that comes up a lot is, well, what do people want to watch? What do people want to hear? What's relevant to people? You know, what is what is the non-noise that people really uh, emotionally connect with? And movie studios and television networks care about this more than anything because the amount of attention that you need to watch a movie or to care enough about a movie to go see it in theaters, for example, is pretty pretty high. Um, it, you know, I, I, my media diet is not particularly heavy. I, I maybe will watch a show a week uh, or a couple of Netflix shows a week or something like that. But there's not too many things that I'm, uh, you know, running out to, to see in the movie theaters. But there are some things. 
so we get these companies that come to us and they'll say, look, uh, we've identified a really, really great script that we want to make a movie for. And, uh, you know, in the case of some networks, uh, one of our clients is, is the BBC, for example. Uh, you know, they're kind of the television network and the, the media network of record in all sorts of different countries around the world. Uh, they might come to us and say, we really want this to be a hit in, uh, say, New Zealand or South Africa or some country where they really want to uh, make uh, much more of an impact where, than they previously had. So a question you can ask uh, Finio is, you know, for the people that are interested in this particular script or in, uh, in any movie, let's say that we're talking about uh, they want to make a Jaws remake or something, right? They can go and look at people that care about movies like Jaws that live in South Africa or New Zealand and what other kinds of movies do they like. More importantly, what kind of actors and actresses do they like? Uh, is there anybody that maybe isn't so popular but is still uh, extremely niche important to them that they would really uh, connect with emotionally? These are all the kinds of questions that we can answer. That's really cool. I, you know, I, I think back to, and, and I know a lot of people probably know this, but one of the most famous uh, recent year uh, pieces of content on the media side that was all around data science was uh, Netflix's House of Cards, right? I think, do you guys all know that story? That I, I think the way it worked was that they were able to use big data because they knew that, you know, the, the version in Britain of House of Cards had a huge audience. Um, there was a movie directed by David Fincher that had a big audience, but then I think it was also people who watched the British version also like Kevin Spacey films. So they, and, and also liked movies directed by David Fincher. So they were able to kind of like pull everything together and say, this will be successful, which is essentially what all of us are trying to figure out when we put that, put pen to paper to write anything from a blog post to an ebook, like, what of our work is going to you know, bear fruit? Yeah, that's a great use case. We think about the Fincher and House of Cards situation quite a lot. Uh, and it's exactly the kind of stuff that we like to do a lot too, right? Um, you know, there's all sorts of different use cases where you want to know who the celebrity uh, du jour is going to be. Um, so we, we do this in, in music as well, right? So it's, it's pretty, I think everybody uses some variation of Spotify nowadays. If it's not Spotify, then it's uh, Apple Music or uh, anything like that. The music that you listen to helps determine what else it's going to suggest to you, but that hasn't really broken out into the abstract outside of songs and albums and things like that very well. Amazon does this very well with what products they recommend, or they do it so-so, I guess. Uh, but there's all sorts of different cases where um, we haven't really hit this point where people can recommend things based on what I've unbiased and unconsciously declared as relevant to me. So for actors, actresses, directors, movies I want to watch, networks I'd like to pay attention to, those are all things that people could be doing. Vacation destinations, uh, you know, what kind of soft drink or, or beverage I want to be drinking. These, we have all sorts of signals that indicate what these could be that people aren't really tapping into yet. Honestly, so unbelievably relevant. I mean, just in general, because, you know, um, relevance is the key to creating the best experience possible for customers and for audiences, but also even just with the shift in, you know, social algorithms lately about how really it is about creating that relevant content. It really is about creating such highly tailored content and, and the data that you're providing to customers, you know, whether they be massive movie studios or down to, you know, um, five person agencies, um, you know, that data can really allow them to do things and provide experiences to audiences that they couldn't before. Phil, based on all of the clients that you've worked with, do you have a couple of like top tips for how people can really start to use data and how to really start to make content more relevant for their audiences, how they can actually put this stuff into, into play? Yeah, uh, I, think, I think I have some tips for that. I, I guess the things I would say to pay attention to are non-demographics things. Um, 
there are all sorts of different signals that would indicate my interest uh, and stuff like that. But I, I don't really want to be pigeonholed into who I am, uh, you know, just along the equivalent of what I would fill out for the, the census, right? If somebody just took my census info and tried to advertise me based on that, the most that they might be able to get out is, uh, you know, what's my area or zip code and what are some restaurants in that area or zip code that people of my gender or age might be interested in. And that stuff doesn't really fly anymore. I know that a lot of our big clients uh, tend to just disregard uh, that kind of info altogether. They might try to pair it back at a later date to make things a little bit more custom, but they don't look at it when they come uh, down to clustering and segmenting. Uh, so eliminating demographics as a potential signal is one big one that I care about a lot. But another thing uh, that I also really care about is doing this in an unsupervised way. So this is, uh, I'm not going to get very mathematical here, but one thing that we really look at a lot is uh, AI that provides you with data that you can then go and try to fold yourself, or AI that provides you with data and does it all for you. Uh, a big part of Affinio's uh, you know, reason for existing is we want to make it as easy as possible for people to not have to decide what the lines in the sand are. So we use what's called unsupervised learning on these very large data sets to figure out how these clusters break out. It's a lot of different clustering algorithms that uh, exist out there, and some of the ones that we've tapped into uh, have done this very well for different use cases. So um, if you ever are presented with a data set in the equivalent of a spreadsheet that has a lot of different columns, you could say, let me pick the one that I think I want to separate these people by, whether it's by major or zip code or, or gender, I'm going to say, try to look away from that. There are clustering algorithms that will take all of those into consideration and uh, come up with really, they seem complicated at first, clusters, but the way that they're presented with Affinio is just very straight lines that say, yeah, this is a group of people that, I don't know, let's say people that live in Manhattan and often talk about going out to eat, and here's a different group of people that are in Brooklyn and rarely talk about going out to eat. Or here's a group of people that like the Los Angeles Lakers, and here's a different group of people that like the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, there's no real indication about their demographic, their age group, anything like that. It just kind of comes out in the wash. This is wild. I mean, I mean, there's so much opportunity as you highlight the amount of data out there and the way data is now being able to be processed through companies like your own. Um, and it, I'm going to shift though to kind of the you know the fears here, right? And, you know the you know the the big brother, if you will, 1984 type of mindset. And there's also a lot of uh, of things that are threatening our ability to to get access to this data. Um, I know one that a lot of marketers are dealing with right now is is becoming compliant for things like GDPR. Right, which if, if people are not familiar, is uh, coming out of the UK, I believe, and, and in the EU area, focused on how we enforce, uh, you know, general data protection. So, what data people have access to? How do you see that kind of shifting? You know, the way data is, uh, you know, made available to companies um, to deliver these better experiences in the coming years. Yeah, great question. Well, almost everything about data access is a personal choice. You know, people on, I'm just going to use Twitter as an example because they do this pretty well. Uh, people with a private account on Twitter aren't really opting into anything that they don't think that they are. Their amount of advertising they might get from Twitter would be uh, one way or another, depending on what they post. But nobody else ever gets to touch that kind of stuff. Um, because of this, we find a lot of people are using ad blockers and things like that. In addition to the GDPR, this is another major concern for advertisers, right? the prevalence of ad blockers in major browsers and on smartphones now. But one of the big goals here shouldn't be to get around these things. Uh, potentially, what we should be thinking about is how do we make people not want to use ad blockers? How do we make people not feel like their data should be uh, threatening to them in terms of advertisements? I think the point of this is to 
uh, think about what data they're comfortable to give at first, but to take that data and use it in, I guess, a socially responsible way. Uh, don't build anything like an advertisement around something that is a fear that a person has or, uh, um, you know, a, don't be a bad actor towards somebody's prejudices, I suppose. Uh, you see this stuff in the news a lot from last year. There were all sorts of different prejudices that were preyed upon by advertisers for different political gains. Um, this isn't something that I think should be anywhere near how advertisers approach things in the future. Um, if you show people that what you're showing them in terms of advertisements is something akin to what they like, uh, what they respond to emotionally in a positive way, I think that they're going to turn the, ad, the uh, ad blockers off and be a lot more okay with seeing ads that are relevant to them. That is beautifully said. Advertisers, in order to get that trust, have to be relevant and they have to use that data in a responsible way, which in turn will sort of bring about trust from the general public and give them data. I think, honestly, I that I feel like this is sort of the most... Um, I, I don't even know how to say it. That's like one of the most beautiful poetic things I think anything has been said on the show recently. Um, but no, it's, it's true. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really about responsibility and using data carefully and, and, you know, respecting the customer and respecting our audiences. And I love it. I think it's beautiful. I, I think there's an opportunity for a new t-shirt, by the way, Anna, it can be like data makes poetry or something like that. I feel like you, you've got the licensing rights. I love it. I Yes, we're going to start that t-shirt campaign now. We'll start uh, the GoFundMe here in just a minute. Um, Phil, our, so unfortunately, our time is coming to an end, but we would love for you to stick around to get to know a little bit more about the personal side of Phil if you're up for it. All right. So we have Phil here from Affinio. We just heard about all of this amazing data collection, all of this amazing audience insight information that we can do. So he gave some great tips. Now we're going to get to know a little bit more about the personal side of Phil. So Phil, you ready for some lightning round of questions? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. So you at one point uh, were actually living in the US. You were actually here in Phoenix in Arizona with me. Yeah, that's right. What is the one thing that you miss that you can no longer now get back in Canada? Oh, good question. Uh, I really miss, I'm going to say it, uh, American chain restaurants. <laughs> in Canada, this is going to sound insane. I, I go, I, I travel in the States quite a bit, and I think people think I'm crazy, but I'm completely in love with so many American chain restaurants, not just for the portion size, which is uh, insane in America, but, but also for just like the food content. There's an insane blend of different types of food that none of which go together. And I'm thinking of every Southwest egg roll I've ever had. Mm -hmm. There's uh, there's the P.F. Chang's and the Gordon Biersch's of the world. And then there's even just uh, burger places that we don't have in Canada. We're lacking In-N-Out Burger and Rallies and Checkers and Sonic. And I could go on for another day if I had to. But to be fair, we don't have Tim Hortons. Yeah, Tim Hortons isn't so bad. There's a couple of hockey arenas stateside where you'll find a Tim Hortons embedded therein. But that's basically because they're Canadian embassies. Yeah. And to be honest, though, Anna, like, we have way better things than Tim's. Like, Tim's is good. It's a staple. But at the same time, I mean, like, Phil, I mean, you know, about, it, it's like you're painting Canada as this desperate place where we don't have any great food. What, what, has, been, what has been your, your best uh, thing to come back to? Uh, in Canada, generally, I, I really missed weather. Uh, that was a big one to come back to. When I lived in Phoenix, it was a lot of summer all the time. Um, I'm really glad that I have a wardrobe that isn't just T-shirts again. That's really fun for me. 
Uh, no, I, I, I love the way that, uh, so I've lived in Canada, in Halifax and Toronto uh, since moving back from Phoenix. And I love the way that these cities handle the weather. There's giant, crazy underground mazes in both of these towns. And uh, people just kind of live in them and, and not like mole people, but they get around just great. Uh, because it's wintertime and it's crazy outside, and how else are you going to live, you know? I, I, I thought you were going to say you're just happy to have a baseball team, you know, back in, back in your home city. I'm very happy to have, have it, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Toronto's, Toronto's got a pretty, you know, competitive team last summer of years, and I, and I know you're a big baseball fan. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I'm very happy to see the Blue Jays doing well. I grew up around Detroit, so I'm still a Detroit sports fan at heart. And there's a, kind of a funny thing with Canada and sports in general, where it doesn't really matter where you live. You have to like the whatever Canadian team is doing best. Uh, so whatever Canadian hockey team makes it furthest into the playoffs, you kind of put aside your grudges and say, yeah, all right, I'm going to cheer for them. At least most of the time. So true. So true. Awesome. Phil, this has been great to have you on the podcast. I want to thank uh, everyone for tuning in and listening, listening to Phil. If you want to learn more about his company, you can go to affinio.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-O.com. Uh, learn all about how you can use data to make some of the choices you're, you're leaning towards in your content creation and the ultimate content experience you put in front of people. Uh, the content experience show is part of Convince and Convert. You can learn all about the podcast uh, on convinceandconvert.com. You can also find all of the other podcasts that we have from these episodes on on Spotify, on uh, iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It's hard to keep track these days of all the places, but we are there to be found. And please leave us a review on what we can do to make these more engaging until we have the data to tell us to do that. Until next time, I'm Randy Frisch. Thanks, as always, to Anna Iraq and Phil for joining us. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.